0: Um, so today we're gonna finish uh the letter to the Ephesians. Um, and we're gonna be in chapter six. So just to recap, the letter was essentially summed up in um in two major themes. And starting, so from chapter two to chapter six, they were focused on the second theme, which is that Christ has united people from all nations to himself and to one another in his church. And this was the byproduct that was covered in the first two chapters um, of the primary theme, which is Christ having reconciled all creation to Himself um, and to God the Father. So, in the first section of this chapter, um, the subject of submission still continues. Last time in chapter five, it ended with um, uh, with Paul using the example of marriage. Um, in regards to Christ and the Church, and the main, um, like the main subject within that context, was um, on submission, and that continues into this chapter, um, with uh, parent and children relationships and slave and master relationships, and then it ends with like um, the importance of putting on the whole armor of God. So let's go ahead and read chapter six. It says children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise with a promise so that it may be well with you. And that you may live long on the earth fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling, in, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, um, but as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. <clears throat> With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever a good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them. And give up threatening knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Um, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, sorry. Sorry, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Okay, so let's go back to the first four verses, and it um and it pertains to the family. It's still, like it continues with the family dynamic. So, in the first four verses of this chapter, <clears throat> it go it transitions um from the marriage relationship into children's relationship to their parents um and paul i'm assuming starts like at the top and then goes down the list i don't know like this is my assumption that he's writing in order of like how each relationship should look like based on matter of importance importance but parent relationship parent children relationships is next and he tells children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth so I think it is interesting that like in the Bible it never tells us at what point we saw being like someone's child like we are always someone's son and daughter but at what point, like, our, I don't know if there's like a point where our parents personally stop viewing us as like their children. I'm not sure. So even as an adult, I believe that the word of God does call us to honor, honor our parents um, because it is a first commandment and it isn't just for the sake of them alone, <clears throat> but it is for our gain, our gain too, if that's like um, a good word to use or our benefit. Honoring our parents is the first commandment with a promise or with a guarantee. And that guarantee is our well-being and a long life on earth. And what exactly that like will look like individually um, for each person is obviously like up to the discretion of the Lord, because not everyone lives to be a hundred, which I think is a good thing, but I mean other people disagree. Um, like that, whatever that long life, that blessed life, that favored life looks like because you honor your parents is up to the discretion of the Lord. And it's interesting that like the wife is called to be subject to the husband in the Lord, so is the child. The call is to obey in Christ, not in sinful actions. Um, so obviously if you're if your parent, I don't know if there's teenagers on here, I can't see anyone, but um like obviously if your parents are telling you to do something that is sinful or even as an adult your call, your parent asks of something that is not um honorable or that is not moral then the obvious response is to say no and um not sin against the lord um <clears throat> so the call is to obey on to christ the um and then paul tells the father Um, he doesn't say mom and dad he says father to not provoke their children to anger but bring them up in the discipline of the lord so when you're a child um you don't really have like much say in what your day-to-day looks like um or even like well you really don't know what's best for you but you also don't have a say in that like you don't have a lot of say in preferences and all of that but you're also at your most vulnerable like vulnerable stage because you're like in your formative years right so the father or the parental figure whatever whatever situation you're in they're the ones who lead in those ways and it's a really high call and it's important call (laughs) and coming from someone who's like I've only had examples of what not to do I've never had an example like in my own personal life like growing up like I just didn't I haven't seen had, I haven't had examples where I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you do. That's what you don't do. I just know what not to do. Um, so I, I can't, I don't, I can't relate, but I still couldn't relate to the marriage part either. So <laughs> anyway, um, the parent is given the authority from God, but that authority doesn't create or shouldn't create in the parent or father, a sense of like dictatorship or an entitlement that would cause, um, your child to sin against God in their anger because your character is not up to par with the call that's been given to you. The call that's been given to parents or fathers in this sec- section is essentially just to disciple your kids from the time that you're small, that they're small. And I think it's like also important to state that the obvious that this is also coming from someone who is not a parent. So if you're a parent or you're a father and you're doing your best, like. You can just ignore me if I'm not, if I'm not like speaking well, because I'm not a parent. I don't know. Um, So let's move on to five and nine. So verses five to nine says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So in the context of the time um, when Paul was writing this letter, I guess it would still fit in some contexts. Um, Not today, not so much in America, but like in other countries, maybe like so because there are still like slaves um, even today. So anyway, at that time, it was estimated that slaves or bond servants made up about like one third of the population in a city like Ephesus. So they were actually considered um, like an important part of the family, even though they might have not been treated like that. So Paul's instructions for slaves were like a natural part of his counsel in regards to family relationships, because he viewed them as part of the families in which they served. And in both Greek and Roman cultures, bond servants had um, limited rights. And because of that, they were often like subject to um, abuse and exploitation. And obviously, that's not okay. And Paul was not stating that when he was telling them to like submit to their masters. He's addressing masters and slaves who were believers in Christ, not those who were unbelievers. So he was essentially telling the servants who were believers to work as unto the Lord and not hate their masters, which was probably a natural thing or a natural response to have. Um, because when you're called a slave, you know, we were called Slaves of Christ are bondservants of the Lord. So what does that mean? It means that we belong to someone that is not, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to someone else, right? So these slaves were essentially owned by someone else and they didn't have freedoms to live as they wished. So it would be a natural thing for them to want to hate their master, especially if their master um, was cruel to them. And Paul is stating Paul was just stating to them or letting them know to be diligent to fulfill their obligations um, as much as they were able to um, in service to the Lord um, and that they would receive and whatever like good they did and whatever good anyone does they will receive back they receive that back from the Lord because when someone like serves selflessly that's not something that like god overlooks or is ignored or is forgotten by him he doesn't discriminate and he doesn't show partiality and he will reward everyone who is faithful whether that person be a slave or be a free man and then paul goes on to address the masters who had authority over the lives of people but more than that um who might have like sinned even though they were believers prior to being believers they were unbelievers right so they had certain um like customs that were unethical and immoral, um, I'm assuming. So he addresses these believing masters um, who might have sinned, assuming that they not only had authority, but saw the people that were their slaves as property and as objects, rather than what they really were, which is a person, someone who like them, was worthy of respect and That was created in dignity and value far beyond uh, their servitude. So again, Paul was addressing believing masters and told them to give up threatening and being cruel because at the end of the day, both their master and the slaves master was God, and he doesn't play the favorites game at the end of the day, both master and slave, if they were believers in Christ were serving the same God and therefore Um, We're family in Christ. And not only that, like, they would have to give an account um, to God at some point. And then Paul goes on from sharing about, like, how Christ reconciling us to each other should affect our relationship and relationships. And he finishes with how this reconciliation that we've been brought into will be the most fruitful, and that is by putting on um, the armor of God. So verses 10 to 12 say, um, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world's forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Um, So finally, so now that you know what happened, um, what happened, and how it was that Christ reconciled you to Himself and the Father, and how that should affect your relationships, be strong in the Lord. Now that you know all of that, now that um, because it is in His strength alone that you will be able to not only like be practical in your obedience to Him, but you're also going to be blessed in doing so. We don't have. superpowers I don't know if you guys knew that we don't we don't have superpowers and we don't have the ability to like muster up strength and courage on our own even as much as we would like to think we do like we don't we're not able to do so it literally all comes from God because of his great mercy and this strength I believe is granted to both um, believers and non-believers the difference is that Believers or Christians are able to recognize and acknowledge um, where our hope and strength and courage come comes from. Um, non-believers don't have that luxury. So the armor of God is our um, weaponry and defense against the schemes of the enemy. It is what helps us to stand firm each day um, and not waver in our faith in our faith when things are not looking so good. Because it, more than anything, it would make the enemy really happy um, to see us fall. Not so much so because of who we are, because, but because of who who the Lord is. The enemy knows that we're weak, that we're frail. We are created beings just like he's created, okay? So when we fall, like, I don't think it surprises him because he already knows that we're weak. The, The thing that makes him happy when we fall is like the fact that we say that we belong to the Lord. Because at the end of the day, like, his aim is to, like, is to rob Jesus Christ of his glory. Is that Christ would be not, like, would not be exalted. That's his end goal. Um, and that's why it makes him happy, like, when we fall or when we stumble or whatever. It is God's glory that the enemy is looking to rob. And when we prepare ourselves for the battle that we are um that we are daily in, whether we recognize it or not, or whether we even wanna be in it or not, when we prepare the likelihood of us falling or being defeated lessons. And the most encouraging thing is the enemy and all of those rulers and powers and the world forces of darkness and wickedness that we can't see, they're not like a match against God. It's not like God and the enemy, let's see who's gonna win. Like they've already been defeated. The end. Their end has already been written. And that's something that we can walk in very securely and very safely in. Um, When we have things come our way that maybe they're struggles or maybe they're like just trials or maybe they're just difficult things, like we can walk in the victory that's already been given in Christ because those things have already been defeated. They've already been conquered. And the times that you fall, those things have already been covered when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Like all of those things have are like you're already covered. You've already been sealed. So um, that's really, really comforting. So because of this, um, verses 13 to 17 say, "Um, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So again, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm after all that comes your way until the very last day that you're here. Um, And this armor that we're called to put on consists of truth, the righteousness of Christ, the gospel. Faith, salvation, and the word of God. These are all the things that like equip us not only to live as Christians in this world and to not have to live in fear, but they're also the things that like equip us and qualify us to share the hope of Christ with other people because it's God's word that gives us all the tools that we need. It's a two-edged sword and, it is great, and it, it's great in power because of the Holy Spirit who um, is at work within us. And verses 18 to, 9 to 20 say, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness, the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So now that we know that we are in a constant battle, and this battle is like not ending until the end comes, um, Paul tells his readers to be on constant, like, alert in prayer and petition in the spirit and push forward in perseverance, and perseverance, not just for yourself, but for all the saints. Because we literally are in this together, and we do need each other. We were not created to be an island, although, although to be an island or be like secluded for some about for some of us that does sound great that's not how like that's not how god intended us to live he did create us for community um and paul also asks for petitions to be made known be made for him so that he can continue in the work that's been assigned to him from the lord so that he is able to um be bold when he speaks truth even while he's in prison and this shows a genuine heart like of humility in submission to christ and this would have been really encouraging to the people that he wrote this letter to because most of the letter after chapter two is them being called um, into submission in one form over another and um, paul was willing to live under the submission of christ even while he was imprisoned um, so he was calling them to submit first unto christ and then to one another and then verses 21 to 24 say but that you may, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tych, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Um, so he finishes his letters by letting them know that I am, I'm I don't know I'm saying it right. Tychicus will let them know everything that was going on with them so that they could be encouraged and comforted. This would have mattered like a lot to the Ephesians because Paul wasn't writing this letter from like the comfort of a home. He was writing it while he was imprisoned in Rome for the sake of the gospel that they too were facing like backlash for. Because again, like the Ephesians, the church there, like they. <clears throat> They were in a city like, um, I think, like a metropolitan metropolitan city that was like full of other types of temples. So they were going against the grain, just like Paul had been, and it landed him in prison. And he was writing to encourage them from prison. So this would have been like a really big, great comfort for this church. And he ends by saying, um, "Peace to the brethren and love from and love from faith from God." <clears throat> the father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love or like with unwavering devoted persevering love um and I wanted to end by reading um Romans chapter eight uh verses 28 to 39 and it says um and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be in so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he also called and these whom he called he also justified and these whom he justified he also glorified what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who is against us He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him over for us all. How will he also, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one, is he who died? Yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, but in all these things, we overwhel- overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am co- I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, That's all that I have for you guys tonight.